Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I am your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, Mitch Light of The Athletic. This episode is brought to you by The Well Coffee House, which is a Nashville area coffee house that provides fresh roast coffee along with house-made pastries, breakfast, and lunch offerings. There are four locations to serve you in the Nashville area. Those are in Brentwood, Green Hills, downtown, and Bellevue. You can get more information at wellcoffeehouse.org, the Well Coffee House where coffee changes lives. We thank our co-sponsor, Wellspire, Nashville's Learning and Development Center, which is located in the Gulch. Today's news presented by Sutherland and Belk, an SEC sports-loving injury law firm, in the Nashville area, these guys can shoot you straight on your rights when you've been injured in an accident. Call them at 615-846-6200 to get your questions answered. You can also visit them at sbinjurylaw.com. Vanderbilt pulls an upset in Tuscaloosa, snapping a 17-game road conference losing streak. The guy to thank, Saban Lee, 38 points as he spoils Alabama's senior night. That will obviously be a focus of our podcast today. Our guest line brought to you by Boland Branch, which is run by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I had no clue how comfortable Boland Branch sheets were until I got them. They are fair trade certified, which means they are made under safe conditions by men and women who are treated and paid fairly. Try them for a month. You can return them for free, but you will not want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to BowlingBranch.com. That is spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code Vandy and get $50 off your first set of sheets. Our question and answer session with Mitch Light is brought to you by Mark Gent of Simply a Fan. Mark organizes road trips to sporting events around the country and is doing so for several Vanderbilt baseball road series this year. Go to simplyafan.com, get more information, tell them you heard about it on the podcast. Mitch Light of The Athletic joins us today. And Mitch, uh, this podcast has got interesting timing because Right after you wrote a terrific story about Shane Foster's senior night, Saban Lee goes and wrecks Alabama's senior night, uh, and that should be fun for us to talk about today. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, Chris. Yeah, I've been been working on that um, that piece on Shane Foster basically since I started at the at the Athletic. I, I thought it would be a fun uh, piece to write, and I thought the timing of of putting it on Senior Week would would be the best time to do it, and you know. Um, for those of you that have have read it, I got received a lot of great feedback on on Twitter. Thank you very much. It was uh, a lot of fun. Spoke to you know, Kevin Stallings, uh, Vanderbilt assistants Tom Richardson, Brad Frederick, of course Shane Foster, Ross Neltner, Alex Gordon, um, some people at the Vanderbilt athletic department. Uh, Rick Stansbury, the Mississippi State coach, was great. Um, and Ben Hensborough, former Mississippi State player, was great. So everyone was very eager to talk about just what was a, a memorable night at, uh, at Memorial Gym. You know, I, I tweeted this too. The two best college performances I've ever seen were Chris Jackson for LSU against Vanderbilt my freshman year in college. And that, that Shane Foster, the Shane Foster was, I would put it at the top just because of uh, the way he willed his team to a win. And so anybody who's still interested, you can uh, you can read about it at the Athletic. Uh, um, just you know, go to go to the Vanderbilt page or College Basketball or the Nashville page. And um, I don't think if you do want to subscribe to the Athletic, subscribe through that story. That helps. Not like I get I don't get paid extra or anything like that. I'm just it, it helps us kind of uh, measure what stories do well and generate traffic and generate subscriptions. So 
I uh, appreciate all the positive feedback. And, and that's been that was something I've been wanting to do for years. And I'm finally uh, able to execute it. I subscribe to The Athletic. It's well worth it. I hope our listening audience does that as well. How in the world did you run Ben's, Ben Hansbro down? That's one of the <laughs> things I was curious about. He was the easiest. So I've, I've um, he was the easiest person to get or one of them. I've known Brad Frederick for years since he was an assistant at Vanderbilt. His first year, actually, he lived right next to me um, on, on Fairfax. So I've just I've kept in touch with Brad. We text a lot, you know, back and forth. And um, so he was Brad was one of the first people I interviewed. And I we were talking about Ben Hansborough. And he said, I've actually talked to Ben about this game because Brad is now in North Carolina and Ben Hansborough. Tyler Hensbro's brother. So Ben comes to work out or used to come to work out at North Carolina. So, so they've talked about it. So he gave me Ben's number and I texted Ben just a cold call tech, you know, just, Hey, Mitch light doing from the athletic, just doing this story. He, you know how it is. You, you get in touch with someone you might not hear back ever, or you might hear back in a day or two within 30 seconds of sending the text. He called me. He's like, Hey, this is Ben Hensbro. I'd love to talk about it because I'm driving right now. I probably shouldn't have even looked at my text, but let's talk tomorrow at 9 a.m. or whatever. So we talked and he was great. A lot of good stuff I didn't even use. So he it was one of those. And in Stansbury, this is fun too. Like I, I Zach Greenwell, who's the uh, Western Kentucky Media Relations Director. I know a little bit. He used to write for me at Athlon before he got into the media relations business. And I reached out to him saying, hey, you know, you think coach would want to talk about this? I'll come up to Bowling Green if need be. He's like, I've actually heard Rick talk about this game. I bet he'll want to talk about it. So it took a while to pin him down because of their travel. But, but Zach came back to me and said, hey, when I broached the subject to, to coach, his eyes lit up and said, well, basically, hell yeah, I'll talk about that. It was the best performance I've ever seen. So, you know, I, I think Kevin Stallings and, and Rick Stansbury's quotes were the best in there, probably. Um, the two head coaches and Stansbury, and Stansbury was, was great. So I had I did reach out to Jamont Gordon. I never really had good contact information. I reached out to him on Facebook and then someone I know kind of did. Um, I was hoping to get him a Nashville native, but I thought just getting the Mississippi State coach and one uh, Mississippi State player, you know, was enough. At some point, it's kind of hard to add much more to, man, this guy just kept hitting shots. And once you get as many points of view as you had, so. Right. My first draft was even longer. And at some point, you know, you have seven people saying the same thing. They're all pretty, you know. It, it, it furthers your point, but, you know, at some point you, you got to cut some stuff. So, uh, but, uh, you know, it, it was, uh, there's a couple things, um, you know, people didn't remember. This is small stuff, but for the people that read the story, uh, I thought Ross Nelton had a good quote basically saying that he kept hitting the offensive glass harder and harder as the game went on because he was like saying there's no way that, you know, Chain could keep hitting the shots. But Ross rebounded the, um, the, shit, the, the Ben Hansborough miss. That ended up the game-winning um, possession, and, and Ross did not remember that at all. Like just grabbing the rebound, I would have loved to get a quote about that. But you know, certain certain people have certain memories on things, and you know, like Brad Frederick remembered everything about the game, all these little details, and you know, other other people just you know, that's just how the mind works. Some people don't remember things in such great detail. Yeah, I wonder how much we'll remember what Saban Lee did against Alabama years from now, just because it's been such an unremarkable year. But whether we remembered or not. That was probably, I don't know if you'd say the Mount Rushmore of great Vanderbilt performances, but certainly was on, on the short list. I mean, for him to carry them the way that he did, 
uh, he just kept hitting shots three or four feet behind the three-point line. The uh, Maybe the one of the signature plays of the night was when he gets triple-teamed on the baseline, and I guess it wasn't a great play so much as it was kind of a fluke play. Alabama, I guess when you got three guys guarding one, everybody figures, oh, the other guy's got him, and Saban just pivots and gets an easy layup. But however he did it, it just – seemed like he kept coming back time and time and time again. And to see a guy take over a game and win one on the road with as little help as he got at times. I mean, I shouldn't say that. Scottie Pippen and Dylan DeSue did a lot to help him. But everybody knew that was Saban's game. And he just put that team on the back and won it himself. Yeah, obviously the stakes quite a bit different than Shane Foster's senior night game. But, you know, I think I saw the stat where that was the second best road performance uh, ever for a Vanderbilt player behind Clyde Lee. Um, yeah, just remarkable. I missed the first half. Uh, my son had basketball practice, but, um, you know, you're just looking at the box score. First of all, the minutes played, you know, DeSue goes 34, Saban goes 30, almost 36, Pippen 35, Max Evans almost 37. You know, it's, it's and I'm not trying to make too much of this because, you know, you know, don't put a, I don't know how to phrase it, but I can't tell you how surprising that win was. I mean, it's not that surprising because this Vanderbilt team has played hard for the most part and they played well, they've overachieved. But to have the lineup that was on the floor for so many, you know, to basically have five scholarship, six scholarship players eligible, and Oton Jankovic has not played like a scholarship player this year. I know he had a three. Uh, but against a, a pretty talented Alabama team, I know Petty wasn't playing. It's was just remarkable. I mean, it, I was joking with a friend you know, based on my oral history of Shane Foster's senior night, I, I want to make write an oral history of Braley Albert's alley-oop attempt to Isaiah Rice. I don't know. That kind of went under the radar there. But late in the game or in the second half, you know, one walk-on trying to throw an alley-oop to a six-foot walk-on, six-two walk-on, that just kind of summarized what, what, what this team has been forced to deal with. And um, so, yeah, just to save in specifically 38 points on 20 shots, you know, efficiencies – you know, you, you go 14 for 20 from the floor, six for seven from three, four for five from three, eight rebounds, you know, five assists, only two turnovers, just an incredible performance. And, you know, we've seen this from Saban, uh, not to this degree at times this year. And, you know, I, I thought, I don't know if we've talked since, I think we did, that the Georgia game, you know, Saban was fantastic. I thought Tom Crean did not have a very good defensive game plan for him. The next two teams they played had, you know, really, because if you can bottle up Saban Lee, you really, this team does not have many offensive options. Um, but, as you know, some of that was just Saban making shots last night. And he was terrific and uh, felt, you know, happy for the guys. They've been battling all year. And, you know, um, just, you know, good to see them enjoy, enjoy a road game. And, you know, just a crushing loss for, for Alabama there. You know, their slim NCAA tournament hopes are over. But, uh, you know, just a, a nice win for Vanderbilt and, and a really, really great performance by Saban Lee. I did not realize this till just now. Alabama had 72 of its 79 points from three players. Yeah, I didn't. I'm looking at, I lost the box score here. Um, oh, well, I'll read yeah, it to you. They got 30 yeah, from yeah, Kyra Lewis. 30. Yeah. yeah. 24 from Bolden, player of and the game. Player of the game, James Beetle Bolden, 24 points. Did you see me uh, tweet at your. Colleague Joe Rex Road. Yeah, Joe was obviously kidding. I know, said, Joe, that's a, I said, you need to, you need to up your trolling game there. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was just like the comedy. Like, and again, I'm, I'm 
this, I stress this on Twitter, like the only reason they have player of the games on games like that on TV broadcast is because they're sponsored. Like nobody cares who the player of the game is, but it's just like, it was the Saban Lee show announcers talking about how great Saban Lee was. Oh, and today's player of the game is senior Beetle Bolden. Like after, you know, it was just bizarre. Um, yeah, who wasn't even he was, the high score for the losing team. So yeah. Right. Right. So, uh, yeah, that was a, not too many SEC games where you have three players score more than 24 points. Yeah, and I've never seen Saban just so on point with this three-point game. And it wasn't just that. I mean, he had eight boards, five assists. He had that huge block at the end on the low block, too, just out yes. of nowhere. It just seemed like every time they needed something, he got it. Yeah, I mean, he was – there's only so many ways you can say it. He was great. It was, you know, almost not, not exactly a one-man band, but towards the end of the game, you know, it, 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 it sure looked like that way. It sure looked that way. And, you know, Vanderbilt free throws, which they didn't do against Georgia. I know Scottie Pippen missed one, but the big, big one was that first one because I think they were up four. You missed that one. Um, and then it's like, oh, no, here we go again. So, But those two guys made three or four down the stretch. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it just you just look at the lineup – Vanderbilt was playing one time they had basically four point guards. When Isaiah Rice was there, look, they had four four basically point guards and Dylan DeSue on the floor. So uh, just crazy, crazy lineups. I'm going back and looking at his game log. And see, so he had 34 against Georgia. And he had 30. That was four games ago. Games of 10 and 14 in between. And he had another 30 point game. Let's see, when was it? Should have pulled this up ahead of time. Back against LSU on the 5th. Gosh, that's been a month now since that LSU game. So, yeah, that's what, three 30-point games out of the last nine? That's pretty special. I don't know how many Vanderbilt players have done that, but I'm not sure that I've seen that before. Yeah, I mean, he goes three for three from three against Auburn. And then over the next... Seven games, he had three 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 pointers. You know, he's he went three for five at Florida, um, and then you know, zero for one, one for five. He's obviously just a very streaky three point shooter, and that that's really what's separating him from being a, a prospect. And I know his his name is has creeping up on some people's radar. I I don't think you know this is the year for him to to test the NBA waters. I mean, he could test them because there's no you know it's, with only one year left, there's no no uh, harm in doing so. But he is an NBA athlete. He's smallish. The, his defense would concern me from a size standpoint. And obviously, he needs to develop some sort of a, a shot. But as far as getting places on the floor, um, he, he's as good as it gets. Yeah, I wonder the way he shot the three last night. I think if he can continue to replicate that, then he's got a shot. I don't know. I mean, if you go six for seven every night, you think yeah, you've got a shot? I, I, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna. That's that's insight, Chris. Thank yeah, you. That's why I'm here, Mitch. Yeah. <laughs> um. But well, seriously, if, if he becomes you know, I, a respectable three point shooter, I mean, he's. I think he can. I guess the other thing is being able to pass out of a penetration and things like that. That again, you know, he's been, gosh, for three years now, he's been asked to play, kind of out of his role, just because of the cast around him. So it's just. You know, the one thing that the NBA won't be able to say about him is that he has to play outside of his comfort zone. Yeah, I mean, he's, you, 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 but your point is, 
you'd like to see him with the floor spread spaced out more like we thought we would see from Vanderbilt last year. That's why, you know, we were so excited about the pro- the prospects with that team. We we thought all the pieces fit nicely. You know, obviously if Darius Garland doesn't get hurt, if Matt Ryan's a better shooter than we, you know, if he shot better, that really spreads the floor. Then you got a guy like Saban penetrating. So, that, you know, looking back, there were legitimate reasons for for excitement. It wasn't just the talent last year. It was sort of like roster construction, where, you know, or at least we thought before last year. And a lot of that, for me at least, was what Saban Lee was was going to bring to the table as a penetrator. Well, I'm just thinking Aaron Neesmith's got to be sitting on the bench going, man, with the way that he and Pippen are able to get to the hole, basically having two point guards on the floor, how many looks would I be getting? Yeah, he might be an NBA first round. Oh, he's going to be one anyway. But, um, yeah, yeah, yeah it's just it's just – at the end of the game, they showed all the hurt players. And, you know, we haven't even mentioned Jordan Wright, who's had some big moments for this team, was, they said, back in Nashville, you know, with a concussion. So, I mean, just adding more more injuries. And he's another guy that can, uh, you know, that, that had, like I just said, has had his moments. So it adds even more, you know, craziness to the win last night. Uh, more basketball to talk? Are you ready to move on to baseball? We can do some baseball. Yeah, the whole... I guess Mason Hickman, Kumar Rocker thing right now, I think has got people holding their breath a little bit. Yeah, I mean, anytime your two best, your two starting pitchers Friday and Saturday um, go through something like that, uh, there's reason for concern. It sounds like, I mean, it could could always be worse, but it sounds like it really could have been worse, you know, um, that neither is long-term. I probably... A little more, you'd be a little more concerned about Hickman just because the nature, you know, not not minimizing anything going on with Kumar Rocker, uh, but you know the the injury um, that that can be nagging. So what it did to JJ Bleday a couple of years ago. I I don't know. My guess is we won't see Hickman this week, and we will see Rocker, but that's just sort of an educated guess. I don't know what you, you you're thinking is. Yeah, I mean, obliques are what like maybe five, six-week injuries a lot of times? It just depends on the, se- the severity of them. I mean, right. you know, J.J., you know, evidently Mason Hickman had hurt it earlier in the week and then tweaked it. So he was obviously hurt it, but it was able to go Friday night. So I, I you know, it would be foolish for us to speculate. He has an oblique injury. If it was really bad, it could be two months. If it's not bad at all, he might miss a week or not even at all. So we just we just don't know. Well, here's a question I have, and I think I know the answer before I ask it, because I think you probably just are as careful as you can be with it regardless. But I wonder if they're a little bit more precautious with Rocker, given what's going on with Hickman. In other words, um, if you're 99% sure he's going to be okay if you throw him now, but there's that 1% of doubt, and you're already doubtful about Hickman maybe for a few weeks, are you just a little bit more careful on Rocker? And using him, if that makes sense. Yeah, again, it's just so hard to speculate because if you know, if you take him for Tim Corbin for at his word, which you know we have no reason not to. Although you know, coaches will sometimes they're for for they're not, they're not as forthright about uh, in injuries. If it was similar to what he had last year, he basically missed a week or missed ten days and came back and, and was strong the rest of the year. So if he is fine, there's no reason to hold him back. If there's if they think another week of rest will do better, we'll we'll, we'll help him down the road. They'll, they'll hold him back. I, I don't especially the nature of college baseball, even though it's a big weekend's first competition, you know, there's, they're not going to throw those guys out there just because they think they need a win. And, and quite frankly, they, there's some pretty good options 
to, 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 to fill the innings, even if they aren't able to go. Obviously, you want your two best starters out there, but it's not like the, the drop-off is from, you know, that the, there's the, there's no chance that Vanderbilt wins if those guys don't pitch. Well, it's just funny how Tim, a lot of times, does things with his rotation early in the year that you never would think you'd see coming. Like, if any of us had said Thomas Schultz is going to get a weekend start in February, I, I think it, we all would have bet against that, but yet he's had one. Um, yeah, that, I mean, that was probably a lot of circumstance, the fact that Rocker got scratched the day of the game. Well, you know, yes, it, it was, but my point yeah. is they also had Lighter, they also have Ethan Smith, so it's just – not something I would have expected to see under any circumstance. Right, right, yeah. yeah. Right, that, yeah, but yeah. Uh, oh, I totally know what you're saying. My, my only point, I think you obviously agree, is that if they had a week to plan, there would have been other guys ahead of Schultz. But, you know, that also shows the depth of their staff that Schultz would probably have been fifth or sixth on our list for that, and he still pitched well and is a very capable pitcher. You know, I the sometimes you go into the season hearing good things about pitching pitchers and the freshmen aren't quite ready and stuff. I don't remember a year where they've had as many capable freshman pitchers is this year. Do you? Uh, oh, no, it's not even close. Yeah. Um, in fact, I wrote about it a little bit this morning. But So are we going to guess that they go probably Eder, Schultz, Leiter in some order this weekend? Was that what you would guess if you had to issue one right now as we do this on the afternoon of Wednesday? No, I, my guess is that we see Rocker this weekend. Okay. That's just a guess. They canceled um, the media session this morning, so there was no statement on that. Right. But that'll be interesting. Right. Because he did throw a bullpen. What I think Max Hers reported he threw a bullpen on Sunday. Yeah, or it wasn't Saturday, like the day he was supposed to start. Well, well, but the question is, let's say Rocker pitches. Do you move him up to Friday, or do you just keep him in that Saturday spot? Lighter pitched one inning. Uh, uh, Loboki pitched, you know, Sunday. Um, I don't know, was Schultz just a, a placeholder last Saturday and, and put him back to the bullpen? Do you, do you move? I don't know if you, you, you go either from a Sunday to a Friday. Uh, um, so, you know, there, there's a lot of, lot of options, a lot of possibilities. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'll be interested to see what they do. And, you know, UCLA is really good Friday. All three teams are good, but UCLA is the best. So how does that factor in? Yeah, and that's where I was going next. I think what I do right now is I throw Rocker against UCLA in what is, I believe, a true road game, correct? I think that's yeah. actually at UCLA's field. So is got, USC. Uh, yeah, and then and then you got the TCU game, which should be the second toughest game of the week, and I believe TCU is ranked again. So you got that on Sunday. I mean, I'd, I'm probably tempted to go – Rocker, Eater, Lighter in that order? Is that what you do if you're Tim Corbin? Assuming that's the three? Yeah, probably. Yeah, and then Lighter, lighter pitched yesterday just one inning, so that would give him enough of an, enough to bounce back. So, um, yeah, so, you know, good options. Be interesting to see what happens. Obviously, if they, they feel that uh, Hickman's ready to go, he'll be Friday, but, again, my, my guess is he'll get a week off. You know, one place where that does you give you some luxury, here's the one little variable we haven't discussed, is Eater's a lefty, the other's a righties. So perhaps if you've got a matchup in those three teams, because you know Tim, he's not going to doctor his weekend rotation uh, because I think he'll figure it sends a bad message. You know, like he, he kept Drake Fellows in that one for a couple of years in spite of the fact he wasn't the best pitcher most of the time. So Tim, knowing that we know that about him, I think now 
assuming Hickman's out, which I think is probably a fairly safe assumption, then you might have a little bit of license if you're Tim to monkey with things a little bit and and maybe say say TCU doesn't hit lefties well, you could throw him in that game, or say USC doesn't hit lefties well, you could throw him in that game instead. That might give you a little bit of leeway to do something that he might not ordinarily do if that factors in anywhere as the platoon matchup. Right. This this and the opening weekend of the season are the only weekend series where you don't play the same team every every uh, every day, so that that factors in. So yeah, that's a good point. Um, if it's up in the air anyway, you, you might as well throw Eater against the team with the best lefty hitting. But you know, I, and I don't know what that team is, so uh, I guess we will find out soon enough. Well, and then you have the the Ethan Smith factor too. Uh, which again, I would have thought under these circumstances, he'd be the guy in there. And, and maybe he is because he throws two innings against Central Arkansas. Probably his worst performance of the year. Yeah, it wasn't, wasn't terrible. So I don't but, know if that would prevent him from, you know, I'm sure he could go Sunday, but he threw, I, I was there for the first five innings and, and, you know, he was struggling with his control, um, his command. And, and um, so my guess is if he does throw, it's probably Saturday or Sunday. Well, and back to the freshman, here's what makes him so unique. You have several of these guys that you could easily stretch out for three or four innings. I mean, in addition to Leiter, who we presume is going to start, you got Laboki, uh, Schultz we've already talked about as a starter, so we know he can. you got Doolin, uh, McIlvain's thrown a couple innings at a time. Maldonado. Maldonado's thrown a couple innings at a time. I don't know that I want to go four or five innings with McIlvain or Maldonado, but Doolin or Laboki. Yeah, sure, no problem. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, the bookies look look really good. I, I I'm far from a pitching coach, but uh, Doolin's delivery looks very smooth. He just it looks like an easy, e- you know, stress not stress free, stress you know, much less stress on his arm than some of those more violent pitchers. And you know, of course, the, there's the Tyler Brown angle. He, he's kind of been a topic every week. Um. Man, I I wrote this morning, I think he's going to be okay. I really do. I think it's just a matter of him catching a little too much plate uh, with some 0-2 pitches. I think that's really correctable. But the further it goes, you have to keep throwing that out there a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the, the elephant in the room right now. I mean, it's he has not looked sharp. I mean, it's just, you know, 11 hits, sample size isn't great, but 11 hits, in seven and two thirds innings, and you know, obviously, blew they gave up a, a lead in, in two of those games. And then on Saturday, Vanderbilt didn't come back and win, but the lead goes from two to one to three to one, and it could have been worse. And you know, put them in a difficult spot down two runs in the ninth inning. So, you know, you got Laboki thrown very well. Well, you know, Tim would be very, very, very reluctant to make a move in that spot, but uh, if he's not your best back end guy, you, you might have to move him, make a move later in the year. Did you get a chance to see Luke Murphy against Central Arkansas? No, we, I, I had to leave. So I saw – I did not see how he looked at all. He threw an inning to me – I mean, look, it's a 10-2 game against Central Arkansas, okay? So we're not going to try to extrapolate a lot of meaning. But to me, I thought the most meaningful thing I saw that day was the inning he threw because it started out rocky. He gave up. Um, I believe the first guy they tried a shift where the third baseman was playing behind the bag at second, and the guy just slap it one down third, and you know could run for days. So there was that start. Then he walks the next guy, 
But then he gets, I think, strikeout, strikeout, and maybe infield pop-up, I want to say. But what it was, was he starts out in that hole, not only gets those two strikeouts, but he was pretty efficient. I think all three outs came on one-two pitches, so it wasn't like he was running the count full, and then again, he got a chase. He was started to command his pitches. He was really good with his breaking ball, and the fastball, I was writing down velocities. I think he hit 94, 95, 96, and 97 with his fastball. So being able to see him throw both those pitches effectively, we thought Luke Murphy was a guy that would help them coming in, and finally what we saw on Tuesday looked like a guy that we thought we'd see. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. You know, he, some shaky outings earlier, but if he can, you know, throw strikes, he's, you know, he's got the velocity. And, you know, it's just you look back a couple of years on some really good Vanderbilt teams that had so few bullpen options um, this year. There's just as the season goes on and, you know, Tim usually kind of whittle down the bullpen. It's going to be difficult. Some some guys are going to get squeezed out, some really good pitchers. Um, so, yeah, it's it's it, it, uh, obviously it bodes well for the future with some of these guys fresh being freshmen. Were you around for Isaiah Thomas's walk-off on Sunday? I was. I was there with my wife and son. I said, okay, we'll leave after the 11th inning, no matter what happens, because we had somewhere to go. But, <laughs> nice call. Uh, yeah, so I actually felt, you know, you, you never predict the team's going to come back down two runs in the bottom of an inning. But uh, I, I thought Hawaii, that, that lefty they threw for three or four innings was very good. After that, the, you know, their bullpen was a little shaky. So, I, you know, I, I thought that. Wasn't shocked Vanderbilt won. You never predict a 400 foot walk off home run. But uh, Isaiah is the second one in, of the day, and he obviously drilled that. And it was a you know good sign if he starts to hit, and uh, you know that that lengthens that lengthens the lineup uh, a little bit. And and you know Dominic Keegan and, and Isaiah Thomas can give you some production. You know, combine that with Austin Martin, Duvall, and, and Cooper Davis, and I think C.J. Rodriguez is going to be a pretty – he hit the ball hard yesterday. He's going to be a pretty consistent hitter. And then, you know, I don't think anyone saw Carter Young hitting 340 at, at this stage, and it's not a soft 340. He, he hits a lot of line drives. I've seen him play a lot. And, uh, you know, the, we'll, we'll, this week will be – weekend will be very telling because you'll be going against much better pitching. But uh, if, if that guy can, can, can stay above 300, that would be a huge plus for this team. I was knocked out with the flu on Sunday. I'm finally starting to get over it. Did the one that Thomas hit first, because he had two home runs, did one of those hit the scoreboard? Did I hear that right? Yeah, no, I think Max Hurst on his call said it might have hit the scoreboard. It was more to, I, I think it was more left field over the monster. It was just one of those, it was just really, really high, and the wind was blowing out. Not saying it wouldn't have been gone on a normal day, but uh, he just got it up really high. And then there's there's no doubt once the, once the win took over. Yeah, I don't know. He's got what seven home runs now in his year in one fifth or so at Vandy. I think that all of them have been none of them have been cheap. I don't believe. Yeah, he's got four and fifty one at bats this year. You know the cop that was dropped on him before the season by somebody on the staff was Jaron Kendall. I was like, wow. Um, I, you know, that's not what I thought of, but I can kind of see it a little bit now. Um, and I, I think the thing that really stood out for me, I don't know if anybody remembers this, he beat out an infield single this week. It was like not like an easy play for the shortstop, but it's one that like when the ball's hit, you don't think that's a hit because the shortstop makes the play a couple steps to his right. 
um, and makes a fine throw and everything. Thomas just beat it out. To me, watching him beat that out was about as telling about his game as the power, because I already knew the power, but I didn't know he was as fast as he's turned out to be. Yeah, good athlete, and you know, made a good catch in right field last weekend. So, um, yeah, Kendall's interesting. You know, a lot of home runs, a lot of strikeouts, and that's, you know, I'm looking – struck out 10 times which is third most on the team behind Harrison Ray and Carter Young that's one thing Carter Young has not done well you know he strikes out a lot so um yeah I think Thomas was one of those guys we looked at this year going into the season not a known quantity but a guy we thought we could you could just kind of plug in there and, and he'd be productive and you know he's hitting 294 right now if he can stay around that 300 mark and provide power that that'll that you know that's what this team needs you know we talked about the pitching depth no the hitting is is a work in progress, right? But I think they, right now they seem to have about 13 guys who look like they can play at some level. Yeah, I'm interested to see how they sort that. You know, like, C.J. Rodriguez didn't play on Sunday, and, you know, I don't know if Tim's just trying to get to see more guys. So it starts Will Duff. You know, Will Duff hits the ball hard twice. I think, he, you know, and then Colwick got back into the game yesterday uh, for Austin Martin, which I guess Martin's fine. I think he just... Tim said after the game he wanted to, to make a sub. So there's guy Spencer Jones was starting early, and we haven't seen much of him. Justin Henry Malloy is struggling. He's a guy that I think is probably going to get squeezed out. But it's not like all these guys are hitting. It's just you're trying to sort out for the fine, for the unknown spots or the spots that aren't solidified, two or three spots, you know, who's going to take them? Is, is it going to be uh, – because you do have some position flexibility there. Is it going to be Parker Nolan? Is it going to be Tate Colwick or Spencer Jones? And I think they're just trying to trying to figure that out right now. What'll be interesting will be to see if their 27-man roster changes right now because they've got 13 hitters who were playing a decent amount. They got 13 pitchers who are playing a decent amount. You would presume that the 27th spot would go to Chance Huff, who played a decent amount last year, has not played this year. I'm told it's not injury, but I don't know what it is. I mean, he, they're, what, 14 games in, he's not pitched. I think something's got to be up. Uh, but it seems like they've kind of got their 27 if you include Huff in that. And usually the thing that makes that interesting is even on some of their great teams, you know, you get to players 23, 24, 25. It's like, okay, just pick a guy. It doesn't make much of a difference. But this time it seems like it's really competitive right down to that, to that last man. Yeah, sorry, yawning there. Not because your comments were boring, although they were very boring. But um, um. TJ McKenzie's a guy who you might want to take as a pinch runner. You know, I, I don't know that to be the case. There might be other options there, but, um, yeah, I, I'm always interested in something that, you know, some schools make public and some don't, I guess. So I'm always interested for these road trips. You know, a lot was made last year of when, um, the Walker Grisante did, you know, as a senior, didn't make that road trip to, to Texas A&M, but for the most part, we just, we don't really talk about who's on road trips and who's not on road trips because you got your core players, that you play, and the guys in the end of the bench by, the, by that point of the season, by SEC time, aren't really playing anyway. Well, I'll tell you the one that surprises me is Matt Hogan, because I thought yeah. before the season Matt Hogan was going to be their fourth outfielder. In fact, I thought maybe two weeks before the season Matt Hogan was going to be starting in either right or center. And remember, that kid had a home run against Oklahoma State in the fall series. I've not heard anything about an injury. I don't know what's going on there, but that's one that really surprises me. Yeah, as not played at all this year, right? He's had one at bat. Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. I was looking. He has played in four games, so defensive replacement, one at bat. Yeah, 
That, me too. I mean, just based on things I'd heard, if you would have told me, you know, I probably would have, excuse me, Hogan in the mix. And one thing we haven't talked about, Sunday, Spencer Jones played right field. You know, Max Hurts, I mentioned on one of the radio broadcasts that he'd been getting work in the outfield and, and he played uh, right field, or maybe it was Saturday or Friday. It was one of the weekend games. I was surprised to see Jones out in right field. Yeah, and if people haven't listened to all the podcasts, I think we've mentioned this before. I don't know if it was on the one I've done with you or not, but from what I understand, Spencer Jones can really run. Yeah, that could be. I mean, he's obviously long long legs and, and uh, you know, he's a very good athlete. So, uh, I and one thing, too, about, um, you know, uh, defense, defense is still, they need to shore some things up, obviously, in that, that 10th inning or the 11th inning. Defense let them down. There's a tough play Cooper Davis didn't make in left field, but you, you got to make that play. Then obviously the, the, the play at home. Um, but, you know, Dominic Keegan, from, I haven't seen a ton of innings, but he's looking like a, a pretty smooth uh, adjustment to first base, which, you know, com- comes in as a, as a catcher. So that's, that's, that's important. Cooper Davis has really had a tough time getting reads on balls this year and left. I don't know if that's just a small sample size fluke, but that wasn't the first time. Because the one that you're talking about, the one that cost Ethan Smith a couple runs, he just overran the ball. Like it was, and I know that it. Look, I don't judge the kid because we saw uh, Kyle Smith have a collision with that brick wall out there in left field. There's not a lot of foul territory, and Kyle Smith was never the same after that. So I'm not knocking the kid, uh, but you know he, he goes down there, tries to chase a ball, and and it just kind of runs maybe a step past it and falls in just fair. So I don't know what's going on with Cooper Davis, but that's been a little bit of a battle for him so far. Yeah, it was Eric Kaiser was pitching when, when that happened. Um, we, I had a good angle for it. It was just, it was, you know, it was in that corner where you're worried about the, the, uh, the wall going into the bullpen and the, the, the left field wall. One thing that Willie Donick told me, and if you remember, I forgot it was the Indiana state game or the Ohio state regional game where they, the shortstop overran a, high pop-up he says the wind coming off of the state football stadium the ball always blows back towards the field like balls you think are going to be out of play come back he says watch opposing players always have time with that tough time with that i don't know if that's what happened to cooper davis obviously he's not an opposing player but that is when you're worried about the wind and you've got two fences slash walls there i think that's basically what, what the problem was that's a great observation. I've never thought about that. The one that always hits me with the wind is it seems like there's a little bit of a wind tunnel running out to the alley in right center, uh, and it may have something to do with that engineering building uh, behind right field. I, I, I'm not a – maybe Will Kleiner needs to be the guy to talk about all this stuff, but there are some interesting things going on with the wind at Hawkins Field at times. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the one I've like I've noticed is the left field too, but um... – yeah, so it's it's I, I I sympathize with Cooper on that play. I think that was a tough play. But again, you know, you're you're an SEC left fielder. That's one you probably need to make. Mitch, we've hit a lot of stuff today. I don't know that I've got anything left to talk about that we haven't hit. Uh, I will give you the floor to bring up any topics we haven't discussed that are worth it. And if not, I'll just let you give your Twitter handle and we'll end the show today. Well, yeah, you can reach me at, at Mitch Light. And again, just another plug from my Shane Foster story. I did a story on Drew Weikert, which was fun to do. The walk-on, who I know his dad. His dad's a, a surgeon for the Vanderbilt, you know, orthopedic surgeon at Vanderbilt and travels with the football team. His dad, I don't know if people read the story, but his dad grew up in French Lake, Indiana, and is a cousin of Larry Bird. Um, so 
you know, I, I wrote my Drew Weikert story as his 15 minutes of fame, but then he played in the next game and scored there. So he's, I guess he's had 30 minutes of fame. So, uh, you know, it's not, I'm going to be, uh, Dipping my toe in the writing waters, the athletic, my main job as an editor, but uh, so you can catch my Shane Foster story and, and, and that Drew Weikert story, the ones I've done recently. So, but uh, that's about it. Well, you set a pretty nice bar with the first piece. Thanks for doing that. Thanks for appearing on our podcast today. All right. Thanks, Chris. Talk to you soon. He's Mitch Light. I'm Chris Lee. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast.